0: Hello and welcome to episode 31 of Late Night Linux Extra. I'm Joe. Now, you might be thinking, where's Chris, Gary and Dalton? Well, I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is that they're not going to be joining me on Late Night Linux Extra anymore. The good news is we've launched Linux After Dark, a proper standalone podcast that has its own RSS feed and its own website, which is at linuxafterdark.net. Now, If you're already subscribed to the All Episodes feed or listening on Spotify, then you will get those episodes automatically, because Linux After Dark is part of the Late Night Linux family. That's kind of what we're calling it. So the episodes are going to be every two weeks on a Friday, but the first episode we're going to release a little bit early, so you should be getting that soon. But then the second episode will come out on the 15th of October, and then episodes will be every two weeks after that. So what we've been doing on Late Night Linux Extra recently, that's going to continue on Linux After Dark. It's going to be much the same. Late Night Linux Extra will continue as just stuff that doesn't fit on the main show. Like, for example, today, I'm going to be talking to Alyssa Rosenzweig, who is a graphics developer who is passionate about software freedom, working on Panfrost and Asahi Linux graphics drivers. So what we're talking about here are the M1 Max. Hector Martin is the lead dev of Asahi Linux, but I thought it'd be nice to talk to Alyssa to hear from a different voice who's involved with the project, especially as the graphics side of things is so difficult and so key to getting a smooth desktop Linux experience. Before we get to that, just a quick thank you to everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. You really make the difference, and you've pretty much allowed us to spin off Linux After Dark as its own separate thing. So if you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support And for $5 or more per month, you get an advert free RSS feed of all three shows now. So that $5 is now starting to become pretty good value. And if you want to get in contact, late night slash contact. So without further ado, then let's get straight on with it. Thanks for joining me, Alyssa. Thanks for having me. I think I need to start with an apology, because when I first heard about porting Linux to the M1 Max, I thought it was impossible. I thought maybe you'd get like... A terminal up and running a CLI but the idea of getting any sort of graphics and any sort of hardware acceleration I just thought was just never going to happen we're not 100% there yet but what you and Hector and the team have done has just blown me away so far so quickly you've managed to get so far so just sorry for doubting you I guess. (laughs) Thank you
1: and apology accepted.
0: Where exactly are we with this, or you with it? Like, how how far along are we, in, and how far is there to go?
1: At this point, we have enough in downstream kernels to run a basic desktop. So that means the internal storage works, USB works, uh, HDMI works, Ethernet works. If you are adventurous and start cherry picking even more patches, uh, there are some more drivers floating around, but. The bottom line is that you can use it as your Linux desktop. It's not a great experience, but it's certainly more than good enough for the day-to-day tasks that you might have. And for a someone like me, where my work consists of just web browsing and compiling code, most mostly, uh, it works great. And I've been using it as one of my main machines now. And uh, eat your own dog food, as they say.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's quite impressive that you've uh, managed to use it. So what? What is lacking on it? Like, have you got screen tearing and stuff like that?
1: Uh, Lacking is device drivers for everything else. Modern system-on-chips have large numbers of coprocessors and dedicated hardware blocks, and Apple... Has even more than I'm used to from other system on chips. So there is tons of different accelerators for you know video codecs, for 3D acceleration, uh, for JPEG decoding, even for cryptography, and the list goes on. And all of those will need to have drivers written at some point for more performance, or in the case of the secure enclave processor, for better security. But the Core pieces are there, so in some sense, it's only up from here, right? In terms of peripheral support, the only thing we're really missing is Thunderbolt.
0: Okay, and is there much difference between the different M1 devices, like with them having different screens and stuff?
1: Yes and no. The system on chip is the same. Hmm. The M1 in the Mini and the M1 in the MacBooks, the same, it's the same physical hardware. That said, uh, the peripherals are slightly different, and that translates to slightly different Linux support, for example, the M1 Mini has an Ethernet port and has some USB Type A ports, so those have uh, need a driver for the M1, and we have that driver. On the other hand, the M1 MacBooks have a webcam uh, that the Mini does not, and so the webcam will need a whole other set of driver support, and that's not something that started. But in terms of the core functionality of the device, uh, it should be the same.
0: And are you not worried about Apple just shutting it down, locking the bootloader with a software update?
1: It would be a little unexpected. The M1 Max, it's not an accident that you can run your own kernels on them. Uh, Apple has gone out of its way to provide the software support needed to enable permissive security for the kernels and install your own kernel. The Intended use of this is going to be doing macOS kernel development. If you build your own macOS kernel, you can boot that with a full macOS installation on a production Mac. And so that works, but there's no functional difference from either technically or from Apple's perspective between booting your own macOS kernel and booting a Linux kernel or a BSD kernel. So I see no reason to see it would be locked down when they've gone out of their way to make sure it was possible.
0: Presumably, you keep up to date with the rumors about what's coming with the M1X or whatever's going to come. Is is there any point in that, or do you just have to wait and see?
1: The rumor mill is always running. Uh, If I took time to read everybody's speculation, uh, I wouldn't have much time to write drivers. So (laughs) I'm going to see what's going to happen in uh, hopefully a few months, and we'll go from there.
0: I know Hector's talked before about it's very likely that you'll be able to transfer a lot of the work that's been done on the m one going forward because the Apple will iteratively build on it. They're not just going to throw it all out and start again, right
1: absolutely um, Apple's processors have evolved considerably, but the m one traces all the way back to the Samsung processors in the original iPhones, and so almost certainly all of the core piping we're doing now for the M1 uh, Linux is going to apply to the M1X and the M2 and so forth. And in the other direction, the piping for the M1 would have applied to running Linux on iPhones for years in the past.
0: Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets, training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven day free trial. The on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals, and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late-night Linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late-night Linux. So realistically, where do you expect to get to with this? Do you expect it to be once Apple drops support for the M1, you'll be able to use Linux on it to retrieve data and potentially use it as a daily driver, but it's never going to be quite on a par with macOS, surely.
1: I guess it depends on what your use case is. For my use case personally, where the most intensive thing I do is compile large amounts of source code, the M1 is the fastest machine I own for that, and Even running Linux, which at the moment has uh, some suboptimal scheduling and such for the M1, it's still far faster than anything else I own, so that will continue to be my daily driver. There is a very long tail of minor drivers and minor platform support needed to get an absolutely perfect experience, but given how much progress we've made just over the past year and given that this hardware is not going away anytime soon, I would be surprised if in a few years from now, Linux on the M1 and the successors is not ready to go for daily driver for the average person.
0: Because the average person right now has to jump through a few hoops to get Linux running, right? It's not just like, you know, download Ubuntu, stick it on a USB drive and boot it on an x86 machine. What exactly is involved in getting it booted and installed right now? So the one
1: part that's non-negotiable is that the security of the Mac has to be downgraded in Apple's terms, or upgraded from our perspective. But, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and so that means booting into macOS's recovery mode, executing some bespoke, scary-looking commands, and then ultimately partitioning the disk and installing a what macOS thinks is a kernel. This is non-negotiable. As I said, it's a key part of how Apple is comfortable letting people have their own kernels on the machine. If that could all be done for macOS, I assume that would be a security risk from that perspective in case there was a macOS malware that could turn into a rootkit or something like that. But uh, Hector has done some great work on making a polished not zero click, but pretty darn close uh, script that can run from recovery mode and do all of the installation for you. So once that's in place, it will be a one-time machine setup and not a big obstacle. The next question is, what in fact are you installing on the machine? In the future, this would be installing a proper bootloader of some kind for Linux, so you could just use a distribution, uh, and that's the dream. At the moment, we're installing uh, Mini, which is our low-level environment for testing the hardware and chain-loading Linux or U-Boot and so we installed mini from recovery mode and then we can boot a kernel that way so then you have the question of okay where's the kernel come from at the moment there's no real point in using an upstream kernel because all of the interesting functionality is still in the process of being upstreamed so you'd be building a kernel on another machine and then loading it into mini at this point over a usb cable but in the near future having that on the disk and probably with Ubuntu in the loop again that's another one of those little minor gotchas that's going to go away over time once everything gets upstreamed you'll be able to just use the same kernel from debian or fedora or your favorite distribution and again none of these things are hard insurmountable obstacles they just take time and we're working on that
0: what about dual booting because presumably there'll be people who won't want to fully commit to running linux on it
1: In fact, at the moment, dual booting is the only setup we support. The security model for the M1 Macs has the trust level, so to speak, on a per-partition basis, not a per-computer basis. Apple is the only vendor I'm aware of that has this particular setup. And so what this means is that you can have a pristine retail Mac OS on one partition and your Linux on the other partition, and boot into Linux with your own kernel as much as you want, but when you're on macOS, it's still trusted from Apple's perspective, and so you can still get all of your iOS apps and Netflix and all of that. And uh, this is a big difference from, for example, how the uh, Android and Chrome OS ecosystem works, where once you unlock the bootloader for the machine, the original Android or Chrome OS is permanently downgraded, so to
0: speak. So if people want to help out, with this. What can they do?
1: There's a lot of tasks waiting for hardware hackers. Uh, If you swing by the Asahi channel on IRC um, that's on the OFTC network, certainly somebody can help you find a task that might be at your level. Uh, For end users, we're not quite at the point of uh, just wanting a call for testing. There are lots of issues that we're still working through. We know about them, but definitely stay tuned and I'm very hopeful that sooner than not, I can add casting to that list of things that we're looking for as a project.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining me. If people want to find out more about you and the project, where's the best place for them to go?
1: Well, the Asahi Linux website is asahilenux.org. And from there, there's links to the documentation and the uh, IRC chat if you want real-time interaction with us and hopefully getting a with shelf.
0: And you personally have got quite a few followers on Twitter, I noticed.
1: Uh, yeah, M1 Twitter has been baffling to me. Like, I'm not going to complain, but I wasn't expecting this much fanfare.
0: Well, the, the M1 is a big technological leap forward, right? And to not be left behind as Linux users is important. And I think that's why people are taking so much interest in this.
1: Absolutely. And there is a vocal minority of Linux users who are opposed to spending effort on this port because they see it as supporting Apple. And I will admit, I have some conflicted views on sort of philosophy of this sort of project, but ultimately, the M1 is such a leap forward in terms of certainly ARM64 hardware, and we can only imagine where this trend will go with future Apple Silicon, that it would be Short sighted to snub our noses at it as a software freedom community. And I'm never sure what to think when people ask, should I buy an M1 to run Linux on it? The reason I have one is for development purposes, right? Yeah. Uh, but I do think it's important that two years from now, when the M2 and the M3 are eating the world, that Linux has a response to that. And that's work that has to happen now.
0: Yeah. And I've got an old Core 2 Duo MacBook Pro. <laughs> 17 inch monster um, that's long been abandoned by Apple. It's, I think, uh, 10.7 Lion is like the, the latest officially supported release. And I can run the latest version of Ubuntu on there, no problem, or Ubuntu in my case, and it works absolutely great. And that's thanks to the work that people did to get Linux running on it. And if people didn't do that, if, if you and your project weren't doing this, then when Apple drops support for the M1, which it will do, eventually it might be five or more years, but when that will happen. And then you're just going to have a bunch of outdated software on there that makes these machines basically useless to anyone who cares about security, at least.
1: For sure. And there's, a, there's an environmental argument to be made for doing long-term support. Um, we know that a company that makes its money selling hardware is not incentivized to supported software on that hardware for a long time and without making this a political theory (laughs) on uh, the effects of uh, so on and so forth i do think that it's important that these ports exist
0: definitely well thanks for all the great work you're doing and hopefully speak again sometime thank you for having me again